Time once again for Second Helping, the podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network. Joined as I always am by my great friend and co-host, Brent Beard, longtime college football analyst for First Coast News down in Jacksonville, Florida. Brent, also a voter for the most prestigious individual honor in college athletics. The Heisman Trophy. Brent, man, here we go. You ready to head into the second half of the college football season? I guess some teams have still only played five games, but for the most part, we're six, seven games into this thing, man. Oh, it's just mind-blowing, frankly, Travis, uh, that, that we're at this point. Now, we are heading to the average middle of the season off weeks. we got several teams that will not play uh, this coming week and just about the same or maybe even more next week that that will make a difference. Still trying to get some quarterbacks healthy around the league, big games. And man, it, it just, October is becoming what we thought it would be Trav. It, uh, uh, it, it, it virtually each game before the contenders takes on more significance, doesn't it? Yeah, as we get into the middle of October, as we've talked about many times here on the podcast, you start to see some fraying, maybe, yes, for some teams. Yes. The attrition starts to take hold, and in some instances, it's downright crumbling. Yeah. And then in, in some cases, you might see a team, as you said, hit that much-needed buy. Arkansas was a case of this last year. Mm-hmm. Arkansas was a team in desperate need of a bye week in late October. Got to the bye week, got to an FCS opponent and then was able to muster a fairly strong finish in the month of November. So it can work both ways, but you're right. That bye week for more than half of the league, it's like an oasis sitting out there for an opportunity to try to rest, recover, and as much as anything, mentally, mentally get a burn. Yes. Yeah, well, and I tell you, Trav, what we're going to see in the next few years when we expand the playoff, uh, the season is going to start a week earlier, and probably everybody's not is going to have not just one but two bye weeks, mm-hmm. which will which will help tremendously. Uh, and and you know, Trav, isn't it always fascinating that kind of what we thought would happen uh, sometimes and often doesn't? I mean, we thought LSU would be better uh, at this point, maybe the number two team in the West. Now we're looking at or maybe Arkansas. And now we're looking at the possibility of the Mississippi teams being the uh, the, the second team in the West. So uh, plenty more to go uh, as we go along. But it again, uh, it's another fascinating season in the SEC. No doubt about it. Absolutely. And we're going to get into this week's lineup of games as we typically do here on the podcast. We will preview as we well, we'll review as we preview. I guess that's the right way. <laughs> yeah. We'll kind of yeah. take a look back at last Saturday's matchups and in relation to this week's games, how these teams fared a week ago. And we'll start right there in the noon Eastern slot on ESPN Saturday. Auburn travels to Oxford to take on a top ten team in the six and O. Ole Miss Rebels. Ole Miss against Vanderbilt last Saturday in Nashville, Brent. Looked like a team that was stumbling around a little bit Mm -hmm. coming off that four-quarter war against Kentucky the previous Saturday. But there in the second half, sort of found its legs, it looked like. 
give Vanderbilt credit too. We talk about bye weeks. I thought Vanderbilt looked refreshed coming off its open date. Uh, got play from the guys it needed to get it from. The Commodores did. And we'll talk more about them in that matchup with Georgia in just a little bit. But for Ole Miss, uh, it was a second-half onslaught that really provided the separation the Rebels needed. Wasn't it interesting, Travis, that offensively they kind of did it in reverse of what they've been doing this year? Jackson Dart had a uh, tremendous numbers, 25 of 32, 448, and three touchdowns. Also threw a couple of picks. Now, Zach Evans and Quinshawn Junkins weren't really quite what they were, and I give Vanderbilt credit for probably uh, taking the run away as much as they could, but Vanderbilt's secondary uh, was, again, the the problem uh, as it has been, frankly, all year long. And how about former Mississippi State wideout Malik Heath, Jonathan Mingo, both those guys uh, had big games. So, Trav, can we see a little bit of uh, this Ole Miss offense evolving? Uh, maybe we, we knew they, they know they can run the ball, but do we see this passing attack getting better now? Yeah, 14 yards per attempt for Jackson Dart, mm-hmm. and that went over Vanderbilt Saturday. So that will wow. always work. And Jonathan yeah. Mingo's kind of a forgotten man because he of the is. transfers like Watkins that have come in and Trigg and, and Heath. But uh, Mingo is a physical specimen. I'm not going to say he's up there with a DK Metcalf or an A.J. Brown, but he is that kind of receiver in terms of size and speed and potential. So the thing about Jackson dart that continues to bother me though, is there's still these one or two inexplicable sort of huh. interceptions yeah. Yeah. that he'll throw. And we know, Hey, we know Lane will hang in there with a guy because what Matt Corral, a few years back through seven, I think it was yes. uh, at Arkansas in a game, but that's where I had the biggest concern still. Um, and also defensively, I would say it was, it wasn't the best game for Ole Miss that they've had this year. A.J. Swan completes 27 of 38 for 281 and two touchdowns. Ray Davis rushes for over 100 yards for Vandy. So still some things that that this Ole Miss defense can clean up, and it may be that the Auburn offense, given what we saw from the Tigers and Athens, and understanding George is very good defensively. Um, but Auburn, with that one-two punch of Bigsby and Hunter, if they can't get more out of those guys this week than what they got from them against the dogs, it's going to be another tough one for the Tigers. 19 yards for Tank Bigsby is just unfathomable, frankly. Uh, and then uh, Auburn with 10 penalties. get to get out rushed 292 to uh, 93. Uh, Auburn right now last in the SEC, uh, averaging 20 points a game. Trev, I'm not sure they could score 20 points right now if they had to. Frankly, uh, the the way that this team is is going, uh, and and again, there's a lot of questions. I hear them. I'm sure you do too. Is what does Auburn do? Uh, if, or are they going to get rid of Brian Harson during the uh, off week, uh, which is coming up quickly, or is it going to be the end of the season? Some of the Auburn beat writers we've heard from think it might be. Uh, more the end of the season uh, if and when that happens, uh, un- unless they've got a just an embarrassing game 
at Ole Miss, which unfortunately the way they've been playing right now uh, is uh, a real possibility. But Brian Harson trying to hold the, the the stiff upper lip uh, when things are not going well at all. So uh, and expect another difficult outcome at Ole Miss this week. You know, watching Auburn offensively, it's not easy on the eyes, but it's I don't see. Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby on the field together for a team that is challenged as Auburn is yes. in terms of skill, legitimate SEC scout caliber skill options. Why don't we see Hunter and Bigsby on the field together? Put them out there together. If you love Absolutely. your tight ends, that's fine. Go with two backs, two tight ends. You only need one wide receiver because at last check Auburn among the top 40 wide receivers or top 40 receivers in the SEC through last week, just one of those, an Auburn wide receiver. And that player is somewhere around 36. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't understand no. why you can't come up with some things, especially with Ashford's legs, you know, utilize those three guys sure. and, and run the hell out of it because defensively, you know, Auburn held up pretty good against Georgia and, until it just became evident that it, it wasn't going to happen uh, regardless. And then, you know, Georgia did have six rushing touchdowns in the game. So even though you look at it from a perspective of the Auburn pass defense, didn't give up a touchdown pass, did a pretty good job against Brock Bowers. Um, you're going to get beat most weeks when you give up yeah. six rushing touchdowns. Auburn, by the way, a 14 and a half point underdog uh, going to Oxford this weekend. That number to me seems a little low, but yes. again, it was a little helter skelterish from Ole Miss at Vanderbilt too. Uh, also want to mention, Travis, uh, would it be an understatement to say that Auburn's struggling with ball security? They fumbled yeah. 16 times in 22 quarters. Yeah, that uh, that won't take you far, no doubt no. about it. Let's get into this anticipated 3.30 Eastern window on Saturday, Brent, and we'll start with the Arkansas Razorbacks. The Razorbacks really struggling Losers of two in a row now following a road trip to Starkville that did not end particularly well for Sam Pittman's team. And we've kind of talked about this game for a while, right in the middle of yes. the schedule. You make a trip out to Provo, Utah to take on BYU, which is limping in a little bit following the Cougars loss to Notre Dame in Las Vegas last weekend. For Arkansas, I guess it starts with the status of K.J. Jefferson. It's Wednesday as we record this. What are we hearing in that regard, Brent? Sam Pittman has said that they plan on getting their quarterback back this week. Uh, so, and, and again, there's some undisclosed injuries, Travis, uh, with K.J. Jefferson. Now, I, I will give Malik Hornsby some credit that he went from – uh, wide receiver to backup quarterback to starting quarterback after Kate Fortin was uh, really pretty ineffective. Uh, Hornsby eight of 17 for 234 uh, in the game, but they still really missed uh, KJ Jefferson too. And, and Travis, the problem is uh, it, the situation defensively, they are, and I don't have time to go through all the categories, but Trav, they are, like uh, 88 or above in defensive categories, rushing yards carried allowed, scoring defense, yards uh, play allowed. You get the point. 
88th or lower, right? Yeah, or, yeah that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, and they're, and they're, we're talking about 130-ish FBS teams, right? Yeah. I mean, well, there's 131, yeah. and they are they are dead last in 30-yard scrimmage plays allowed. So, obviously, we saw this in the Alabama game by uh, Alabama being able to take advantage uh, of the secondary. I was listening to a uh, Arkansas beat writer this week, and and he was pretty uh, uh, transparent when he said when they lost Jalen Catlon, their best player, this team really took a dive. Uh, and, Trav, can they get that together this weekend uh, with the team in BYU, which is frankly that uh, they're almost mirror images of each other because of the way they're struggling. Yeah. You know, and you're right. Hornsby, give the guy credit. He wasn't particularly efficient as a passer, but uh, they did produce some explosive plays in the passing game with Hazelwood and Stevens. And Hornsby did rush for over 100 yards on just eight carries. He had an explosive run, too. So you like that part. You don't like the two interceptions that he threw. Uh, that's a tough, tough spot for a team dealing with at least some type of injury at the quarterback position to have to go out to Provo. We talked about this, too, before the podcast. Man, I wish this game was at 9 Eastern oh, or yeah. even later Absolutely. on Saturday night. I hate that it's in this 3.30 window because we know uh, the type of matchup we're going to get to in just a minute is where all the eyeballs are going to be centered. But the game that is in that 3.30 window that probably won't have all those eyeballs is Vanderbilt at Georgia. We talked about no. Vanderbilt a little bit earlier in the loss to Ole Miss uh, offensively did some good things. Just could not hold up on the defensive end. You got the feeling going into the half, even with Vanderbilt in the unfamiliar position against an SEC Western division opponent, especially being in the lead. Uh, you still didn't feel good about the Commodores chances, uh, now they get to go to Athens to take on a Georgia team that was better offensively in the mm -hmm. second half uh, against Auburn, uh, but still a team when it throws the football, uh, you know, not particularly explosive against Auburn last week anyway. And so much of that goes back to Brock Bowers. And whereas you look at his stat line from that game with Auburn, it doesn't blow you away. You know, the potential is always there for him to dominate a game. And when you look at Vanderbilt's back in, like, like you talked about earlier, uh, th this might be a week that we see more of that from the Georgia offense. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't bode well for Vanderbilt in the stats. They're worst in the sec in scoring defense, 32 points a game. And they're worse in the sec in pass defense, allowing 324 in the game. Uh, Trav, I'm curious what you thought of, uh, Dejon Edwards and Branson Robinson uh, uh, in the uh, in the with the Georgia offense, we're seeing a few other guys having to step up because guys like Kendall Milton uh, they've gotten hurt. So some of that Georgia depth is certainly paying off. Im impressive game for Stetson Bennett. Really enjoyed his. 60-yard run. I'm sure the uh, the teams had a lot of fun with that uh, over the last few days. But I, w I will say this for Georgia, uh, Trav, the uh, reality for them is uh, after Vandy, they've got a break, and then we will really know what Georgia's got with Florida, Tennessee, 
Mississippi State and Kentucky in consecutive games, which will uh, challenge Georgia, frankly, a whole lot more than the front end of the schedule has. Yeah, it's interesting how Mississippi State for both Georgia and Alabama has taken on greater shine in terms of upcoming opponents based on the success Mississippi State has had since that loss at LSU. So, yeah, uh, this is a good – you talk about the running back situation and Branson Robinson. He's a guy you can't help but think is a mere white when you look at this guy. I mean, he is a load. Um, But it's a good opportunity, Auburn – uh, and Vanderbilt this week to ramp up some of those other backs because you're absolutely right. They're not especially deep there. And um, and also an opportunity, again, to, to get that passing game going this week against that Vanderbilt defense. The final 3.30 game Eastern for Saturday. Of course, it's the third Saturday in October. And it's going to air on CBS. Alabama and Tennessee, number three, takes on number six. Man, it has been a while since we've been able to talk about this matchup in those terms. 2016, I guess, they were both top ten-ish teams. Alabama rolled into Knoxville, rolled out with a 39-point win. Expectation this time around, though, Brent, is that we might have one for the ages at Neyland Stadium. Yeah, absolutely. Hen and Hooker continuing to play very well. I think the number that's impressed me more than anything else is zero interceptions. That that has been uh, spectacular as far as his play is so far. Jabari Small has ran the ball well. Jalen Wright, the same. Brew McCoy stepped up. Now, there are some question marks here. Cedric Tillman had the tightrope surgery. We, we know that two at Alabama had that, uh, and they, they think he'll be back. Decision coming at the end of the week. Jalen McCullough, their starting safety, obviously got in some trouble with the law on the felony assault charge, too. So, and, and Alabama's got some questions like Jalen Moody uh, with the bruised kidney. I, I know Travis will have an update with that, and obviously. Uh, the big question mark is again with uh, Bryce Young, uh, Bama with a uh, a, a one of those uh, a lot of fans not having any fingernails after that A and M game. Jalen Milrow, frankly, did the best he could do. Ball security was uh, a real question mark with that. Uh, now, to, now look, I, one thing I've learned from you over the years. I've never bought into intangibles that much, but I am going to throw this out because I think this is uh, this is important. Uh, game day, uh, these Tennessee kids are, are going to have some pressure this week that they've probably never had before. Uh, this, frankly, is maybe the, bit, the biggest game in these kids' history for Alabama. It's just another game. Travis, I'm just wondering out loud here, and again, it may not mean anything at all, uh, but does the pressure from a week like this, uh, it, it, well, that may a factor for this Tennessee team down the stretch? Yeah, it's a great point. It's something I've been thinking about this week really in relation to what we saw from Jalen Milrow against Texas A&M Saturday night. It's one thing to sort of fly under the radar, be thrown into a situation. Not that that's easy either, especially on the road like Jalen was at Arkansas. But 
the less time you have to think about it sometimes, the better. Or yes. the, the more under uh, expectations that there are, lower expectations that maybe there are for you, the better. And then there are times like last week when Jalen Milrow went into that week anticipated to be the starter in a primetime matchup against a Texas A&M team that had beaten Alabama the previous year, and it, it, it starts to weigh on you. Yeah. Um, and, and before you can play the game, maybe you're already emotionally and mentally exhausted to the point where you feel like you've already played the game. DraftKings changed the fantasy football game forever in 2012. Now, 10 years later, they're doing it again with Rainmakers Football, their first ever NFT fantasy game. That's right. There's a new way to enjoy daily fantasy football and a new shot to win millions in prizes. All of it from the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. Playing Rainmakers Football is simple. Buy, sell, bid, and win player cards of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions. Build your collection of football stars and enter free Rainmaker football contests all season long to compete for millions in jaw-dropping prizes. Each week, you'll craft your lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and rack up points for touchdowns, receptions, and more, just like you would in daily fantasy football. The next generation of fantasy sports is almost here. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now and sign up with promo code TP. PN. Click the Rainmakers tile and opt in so you can be ready for the next drop. Play free for millions in prizes all football season long and build the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers football. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Uh, And then there's exhaustion that comes into play and anxiety and things like that. So I do wonder about that from the Tennessee perspective this week. We haven't seen anything that would lead us to believe, and I think having a veteran quarterback, you know, Hendon Hooker, this guy is, how old is Hendon Hooker? 24, 25 years old? I think that's that's what people don't realize. This isn't even a 21, 22-year-old. This is... This is a guy on the the losing side of 25, I think. So, um, you know, it's a little different dynamic there. Uh, but, but, you know, I think you said it for Alabama. You can't be minus three in turnover margin this week. No. And my expectation on Wednesday as we record once again is that barring a setback, Bryce Young is going to play yes. Saturday. You're going to see Bryce Young start at quarterback. I, I don't think you're going to see him limited in any way. You do worry about protection and him taking some hits that could aggravate the issue. Uh, but even if Bryce plays – I think you still need to continue to get from that run game what Alabama has been able to get, especially from Jameer Gibbs, which kind of takes us back to the Tennessee side and how much of this improvement against the run are you buying? Because if Tennessee can't stop the run on Saturday, if Tennessee struggles with Jameer Gibbs and Jace McClellan, um, they they don't have any chance in the secondary with Young playing in the game. So first and foremost, Tennessee, as crazy as this sounds, has got to make sure it takes care of Gibbs yeah. to some extent. And again, Tennessee, statistically anyway, Brent, showing improvement in that area. Yeah, that they have. I give them a lot of credit. But the uh, and and at this point, they they are third in the SEC in rush defense, giving up ninety eight yards 
per conference game. Now, my uh, the, the other side of that, Travis, and see, Arkansas was a little bit like this, as you know, uh, a few weeks ago. They led the SEC in sacks. Uh, mm-hmm. frankly, frankly led the nation, but their pass defense was woeful. So uh, I think what you're seeing is uh, that uh, teams have struggled to run against Tennessee because they've been able to throw on them. And, and, and Pops will appreciate this. No other greater example than and then, then Richardson at Florida, who had a field day on the Tennessee yeah. secondary. So uh, I, I think sometimes, Trav, uh, I, and I appreciate the improvement in the rush defense, but how good is that back of that defense for Tennessee? Yeah, and even against a back that was comparable to, say, Jace McClellan and yes. more specifically Jameer Gibbs, pit running back Israel Abanaconda. He went for 154 against the Vols in week two, and he had a 76-yard touchdown run. So I guess the point is we'll see where where the the Tennessee defense and specifically the rush defense is concerned. Alabama in last year's meeting in Tuscaloosa had five red zone touchdown runs against the Vols. Now, Bryce was a big part of that. Bryce really hurt Tennessee with his legs in that game in Tuscaloosa. So – Coming off the shoulder, what's his availability going to be in situations either designed, which I would think would be very minimal because they are anyway, but when he goes to extend plays, um, how much is he going to be willing to put on the line in those situations? And, you know, we think looking at it from the Alabama's perspective, we think that those young corners have made strides and improvement with Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terrian Arnold, who was really under siege by the A&M offense in that win over the Aggies last Saturday night. But we're going to find out this week because this is a Tennessee offense that loves to take shots down the field. But not only that, they will also challenge you in the quick game. They'll throw Mm -hmm. the quick screen out there and see if you can get off a block and make a play in space against these Tennessee wide receivers. And I think with Cedric Tillman's situation and as important as he can be in terms of explosive plays I think it's third down where Tennessee would miss him the most this week this is a guy that uh, can really get the job done with his size Brew McCoy can do that as well Uh, but Tennessee and Tuscaloosa last year just two of 13 on third down sprint Alabama was 15 of 20 on those plays Uh, and we were there last year uh, at that game and the and the comment that we made afterwards, Travis, was what a difference Cedric Tillman made uh, in that football game against the Alabama secondary. So the, there's absolutely no doubt how important that is. And, and Trevor, I know you're going to write about this. I think part of this situation is can Alabama, uh, that they weren't really able to against A&M uh, with that, uh, will that return game uh, with Kool-Aid McKinstry uh, and also Will Reichert as far as uncharacteristically missing a couple of kicks, how will special teams have to do with this game? Yeah, you don't expect that from Reichert. A couple of misses. I will say this for him. He made a 50-yarder earlier in the game that looked pretty big Yes, late when A&M needed to get in the end zone instead of being able to kick a field goal. Uh, in that situation, but absolutely. And that was a big part of what Tennessee was able to get done at LSU 
last weekend. The opening kickoff, right? Ends up yeah, being recovered absolutely. by Tennessee. And we had talked about it with LSU, the early kick. Would that environment be even close to what it is on on Saturday night kickoffs? Uh, it wasn't. And then to get that early momentum like that, boy, Tennessee really took advantage of it and, uh, and rolled. And I, I think a big part of that, too, was against a pretty good LSU defense, Tennessee ran a football effectively, mm-hmm. Brent. Yeah, they really did, and and uh, LSU struggled uh, offensively, but defensively that they've been pretty stout. And again, Alabama uh, certainly in close games, no stranger for that. Uh, people are so used to those blowouts, but since twenty twenty one, Bama in a one score game in the fourth quarter, eight of the last eleven times in SEC play. Yeah. And you talk about the kickers, uh, Chase McGrath for Tennessee has been solid. The, uh, the USC transfer, he made four at LSU last week, uh, had his, just his second miss of the season in that game. He's eight of 10 on the season on field goals and 28 of 28 on extra points. And we've seen in recent weeks, how big field goals and really missed field goals can be. Uh, in tight games. And so we'll see red zone defense, obviously red zone offense comes into play here. Um, I think for both these defenses and we talk about the Alabama corners cause they are going to be tested pass interference. Isn't the worst thing that can happen to a defense this week No, because no. you take the 15 yard penalty and uh, other than it being in the end zone, which we saw with Alabama against Texas A&M late last Saturday night, you take the 15 yards and, even if it puts one of these offenses in the red zone, you say, well, let's see a score from inside the 20 rather than scoring on the 60, 70 yard explosive plays that both these offenses seem to uh, really feast upon. So Alabama goes to Knoxville as a seven and a half point favorite. Brent, the way I'm seeing this game, I think it's going to be right around that number. Yeah, I, I would agree. Absolutely. And look, we, as we like to do here, it, it really needs to be said even with an Alabama loss, uh, Trev, uh, Tennessee still has got important games in the East left, Kentucky, Georgia, Missouri, and South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. So most of their Eastern Division games uh, are on the horizon, particularly uh, what could be an absolute mammoth game, Trav, November 5th in Athens. How about an Alabama-Tennessee three-match? <laughs> you get yeah. this game Saturday, and then they play again, perhaps, in the SEC championship right. game. Right. If the loser Saturday wins out the rest of the way and wins the SEC championship team, maybe you get both of them Possibly. into the college football playoff where they could play again, Brent. How about that? <laughs> oh, yeah. I know Alabama and Tennessee fans at that thought are just joining (laughs) hands and singing Kumbaya. I'm sure they are. Absolutely. Yeah. I think think both these fan bases are totally fine with just seeing each other Saturday and not seeing each other again. Absolutely. Until a year from now. Uh, Seven o'clock Eastern on Saturday night, ESPN, LSU coming off the aforementioned loss at home to Tennessee will travel to Gainesville to take on the Florida Gators. I guess still a little early to count out LSU, especially from the divisional races. Uh, But when you start thinking about bowl pecking order for the SEC, 
you know, this is the kind of game that could go a long way into determining where exactly you fall in that regard if you're one of these teams. And, you know, a couple of interesting quarterbacks uh, in Jaden Daniels for LSU and, of course, the embattled Anthony Richardson, the up-and-down play. Uh, the Gators, it wasn't especially dominant. And Missouri's on a bye this week, so let's give Mizzou some credit because we yes. both wondered mm-hmm. exactly what Eli Drinkwith's team would have left in it after the previous two weeks. But, boy, Mizzou gave Florida everything they wanted. Well, they really did. And uh, it was one, another one of those 50-50 games. Brady Cook, great numbers, frankly, 22 of 30 for 220. Now, he did have two picks. Uh, Nathaniel Pete played very well, had 117 yards. Uh, Franklin even had the ball travel for basically a quarter more than Florida. Had the ball 14 minutes longer than Florida. But, uh, uh, Trev, this number here sums up uh, Eli Drent with career so far. They've lost their last three SEC games by a combined 14 points, Travis. Yeah. And not bad teams. You know, I mean, Georgia and Florida are two of those. Yes. Uh, and then a road game at Auburn. So we're not talking about bottom feeders here uh, that those games have come against. But you're right. And so this week with LSU coming to the swamp, uh, you're going to be looking at Anthony Richardson as far as which passer are we going to get? You mentioned earlier that sort of out-of-the-blue performance yes, yes. against Tennessee when he threw for 450-plus in Knoxville. <laughs> that seemed a long, long time ago oh, yes. as he completed 8 of 14 for 66 yards against Missouri last Saturday. Well, and, and look, I give them credit for being 4-2. and two. Uh, I still think Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne, uh, both with over 80 yards, in the Missouri win, have made a, a real difference. Now, we know, as Pops likes to talk about, uh, we know the Richardson, the the ups and downs. Trev, what I'm concerned right now for Florida, the Gators are 12th in total defense, uh, basically in the middle of the road and several other defensive stats like turnover margin, third down conversion, et cetera. Uh, now, Jaden Hill, Comes back, the sophomore cornerback had a pick six and another interception. That, that certainly made a uh, a big difference. Ventrell Miller is able to play, but it's tough for what he's what he's going through at this point. So uh, I think this Gator defense is something to uh, to look for to see if they've got some improvement. And again, I don't think they're going to beat Georgia, but you've got a situation for Florida. Uh, Trap. If if Florida beats LSU, and at that point they're five and two, coming to Jacksonville, would most Gator fans uh, have been okay with that at the beginning of the year? I think so. I think realistically they would have been. I know the uh, Florida Georgia ticket man would wouldn't <laughs> be too upset with that. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind that. No, that would no. That would still make him a few shackles. Yes. You know, above market value there on the first coast if the Gators can get it done. But, boy, LSU in the run game against Tennessee. Talk about not getting it done. Uh, Daniels, the good news, I guess, threw for 300 yards uh, but had just one touchdown pass and uh, also had an interception. But Daniels was LSU's leading rusher against Tennessee last weekend. 
which is 38 rushing yards. You look at the running back position for LSU in that game, 12 carries for 17 yards with a long run of four yards. That's not going to get it done this week either. No, well, but no stretch of the imagination. Uh, I, I mean, to be at rush 263 to uh, 55, uh, frankly, and, and and I think this may be uh, uh, one of those situations. And, and I think Brian Kelly knew uh, that this that he may be having one of those years. Uh, now, maybe some good news: their offensive lineman Will Campbell. Uh, who they described as having yeah. an ep- episode that put him in the hospital uh, is doing better past some, some tests. And there he is, as they say, trending in the right direction. That doesn't mean he'll play Saturday, but at least he's at the hospital uh, and that he's doing uh, better at this point also. So, but your, your point's a good one. Uh, and, and again, you think about LSU losing that one point game in the opener, in New Orleans to FSU at this point. But, but look, this is a undervalued, underrated big game for both of these teams as far as bowl packing order. We talked about Kayshawn Booty, the LSU wide receiver last week, and how he and Daniels needed to get it going. Well, the good news, they hooked up on a touchdown pass against Tennessee. <laughs> it's pretty meaningless at the time, unfortunately. Yeah. And the bad news, six catches – 33 yards with a long grab of nine yards for booty in that loss to Tennessee. So uh, pretty predictable. I'd say that outcome, given some of the, the statistical numbers for some key pieces to that LSU puzzle, Seven thirty on Saturday night, Eastern time, South Eastern conference network, sec network, Mississippi state, the rolling bulldogs, of MSU travel to Lexington to take on a Kentucky team that I guess saying that it stubbed its toe might not uh, be uh, enough of a statement given that South Carolina rolled into Lexington in front of a sold out crowd at Kroger field and pants the Wildcats last Saturday night. Look, I've said that I really like Rich Scangarello, Scangarello, the uh, offensive coordinator for Kentucky but that sort of double reverse call that <laughs> UK tried to open yeah, the game yeah. with against South Carolina last Saturday night, to say it backfired would be a severe understatement. And then you essentially give South Carolina a free seven points. And now you're playing without Will Levis on yes. top of everything else. So just about everything that could have gone wrong for Kentucky and that loss to South Carolina pretty much did quickly. And even uh, Chris Rodriguez was not able to bail them out. I mean, he had over 100 yards, uh, but that still just was not uh, where they needed to be. And now, according to Mark Stoops, uh, Levis is day-to-day with the chance to play. And to put it mildly, uh, they're going to need him. Now, Kentucky's got a couple of other injuries that have come up to wide receivers, Dane Key and Tavarian Robinson, which is not helping the cause either, is it, Trav? But the but look, when you when you think about Kentucky, to me, this, this is what summed up their season. They allowed five sacks to South Carolina to a team that had four sacks the whole yeah. the whole year. And Trev, right now, uh, 
they are 129 of 131 and sacks allowed with 25. That that has been a devastating category for Kentucky this year. And and with, with that Mississippi State defense, uh, Travis, I don't see that getting much better this weekend. No, you? this has been the kind of matchup, especially with Leach uh, there in uh, State, where you think, well, Kentucky's offensive line will control this game. And and that's been the case in some previous years. That's not the case this year. As we've talked oh. about, the Kentucky offensive line from a year ago lost some key pieces to the National Football League, lost its position coach uh, to Alabama, and it just hasn't seemed to recover from that. So South Carolina was a perfect example of, without Will Levis in previous years, you would have said, well, Christian Rodriguez, those backs, that offensive line, they'll still be fine. And I still sort of felt that way going into last Mm -hmm. week Mm -hmm. Um, and give South Carolina a lot of credit. Give Shane Beamer a lot of credit. He kind of, uh, he kind of trolled Mark Stoops and the cats in the post game. Didn't he? Shane Beamer. But that, if you want a handbook, if you want a guide on how to stay employed at South Carolina, Mm -hmm. these are the kind of wins Yes. That if you can sprinkle them in, win six, win seven, go to the Duke's Mayo Bowl, go to one of the Florida games, go to the Gators, something like that, you can stay at South Carolina for a sure. long, long time. Absolutely. And so from Beamer's perspective, that's that's his, that's a bowl win, essentially. That's that's a game that they have to have sprinkled in to get the six, seven wins, and South Carolina got it, but with Levis expected to go, boy, the quarterback matchup this week with Will Rogers on the Mississippi State side of things, uh, that'll be one to watch. I'll tell you what, uh, and I don't think State's gotten the credit that they deserve, uh, frankly. And and again, uh, there are times that, that we know they're not going to throw the ball down the field that much, but, but Will Rogers is so efficient. We'll get to that in a minute. But they're running the ball well. Dylan Johnson, 100 yards. Uh, they, they have considerably improved uh, their rushing attack. And Leach deserves a lot of credit because, Trav, he's been pretty stubborn about that, hasn't he, in trying to – He's got two backs, though, man. Dylan Johnson and Woody Marks. Yes. Those are two yes. legitimate SEC backs. So I, I don't care if they run it for 150 a game, which is what they're doing now. It is. Um, because they throw at the Woody Marks for 11 for 80, like they did against Arkansas. And, you know, Dylan Johnson also catches two for 49 uh, in that win over the Razorbacks. So, man, you start adding up the scrimmage yards from that Arkansas game for Johnson and Marks, you're getting into that 250-plus neighborhood scrimmage yards, rushing, receiving for those two running backs. So, uh, however you want to utilize those two guys. Yeah, absolutely. You should be doing that. Uh, and I, look, I don't know if he gets enough credit, uh, but uh, look, it, it will, 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 will Rogers play in the NFL one day? Not sure about that, but, but I'll say this, when you're the all time leader in completions in the history of this league, and you just passed Aaron Murray, who set the record in 2013? Murray did it in 52 games. Rogers did it in 28. Trent, what, what in the world does that say about a guy, frankly, Will Rogers, who who I still think is undervalued for what he's done for them? 
Yeah, he's he's been exactly what they want within that offense. I'm with you. I don't think he's a first-round pick of the future. Uh, but really, when you look at Leach's quarterbacks throughout the years, how many of those guys has he had? He's had Correct. the Sonny Cumbies, right. um, Graham Harrells, uh, you know, guys like that. They they weren't NFL guys, but they knew how to execute and run that offense. And um, but I tell you, it helps to to be able to run the ball like State's running it because the recipe, frankly, has been simple for SEC mm-hmm. defenses with Leach at Mississippi State, at least the upper-tier defenses like Alabama and those type of teams, in that you could play zone the whole game against Mississippi State because you could get pressure with three or four guys, and you weren't concerned at all about Mississippi State running the ball against that look. Well, this year, far more than the previous two seasons under Leach, you got to take that into account because Mississippi State is legitimately running the football with those guys, and that's before they get what they want in the passing game, which is essentially an extension of the run game with Leach and the air raid. So there you go. What do you think? Mississippi State on the road Saturday night, Brent, or do you think – Kentucky bounces back with well, Will Levis back. I, I, I think Kentucky plays better, but Travis, I just don't trust that offensive line. Uh, mm-hmm. Frankly, and you and I both know, my goodness, this, this state, what we've talked a lot about the offense, this state defense is a lot better than people give them credit for. Uh, and uh, they can, that they can cause a lot of problems. So I'm, I'm going with state. Uh, at this point, win the game. Uh, Kentucky does indeed have to get it together. Uh, but, 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 Trav, let's just pretend a minute they beat Kentucky. They've got Bama next week, which I think they can give Bama a lot of trouble too. A week off, uh, and and you know everybody's Trav, everybody's talking about that uh, Tennessee Georgia game. Uh, Travis, how about that? Uh, how about that Mississippi State uh, and Georgia game that's yeah. coming up too? And I don't think that's gotten any attention at all at this point. Yeah. And the games in Starkville. Well, we needed that. We needed that game to sort of come to fruition like it appears it might. We'll see. Yes. I mean, we still got to get through Kentucky for Mississippi State. And then we still got the road trip to Tuscaloosa the following weekend to see exactly where State's at. But even if they split those games, um, boy, Georgia's finish looks a lot more inviting. It does, uh, and, it, and it may be that it comes at the comes at the sacrifice of Kentucky because if Mississippi State beats Kentucky, then Kentucky's matchup that we were anticipating with Georgia in November loses even more luster than it, it already does. has. So, a couple of different ways to look at that. A couple of different ways to look at all the games we've looked at today, Brent, and it's been a lot of fun. It has been, and obviously uh, Texas A&M is off. Uh, they they certainly needed this point. By the way, kudos to you uh, for mentioning that Evan Stewart uh, was a wide receiver at A&M who was coming on uh, 106 yards uh, against Alabama. But, uh, but, but again, as we go out here, uh, an A&M team not only badly needing a break uh, but, but Trav, at this point, with what A&M's got left on the schedule, uh, the, these Kevin Sumlin comparisons that, oh. that we see on Twitter aren't going away, are they, Trav? No, no, they're not. And, 
you know, even with A&M right there on the doorstep, literally on the game's final yes. play, I don't think A&M fans at this point at the Jimbo Fisher tenure, what are we, five years in now? It's mm-hmm. crazy when you think about it. I don't think they're into moral victories no. uh, at this point. So uh, critical for A&M to come out of this break and looking a lot more like the team they did against Alabama than they did in not putting up 200 total yards against Appalachian state and a loss. And it was some of the other issues they had in the first half of the season. They really need to show that, look, if Haynes King's going to be the guy, then, you know, he needs to play like it on a weekly basis. If not, then maybe it's Connor Wiegman time because it sounds like Max Johnson's still going to be out for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Matter he may be out for, basically the remaining uh, time of the year. But I'll say this, uh, I'm enjoying the baseball playoffs except the Braves start, but it's always fun to have a little bit of Sunbelt, a little bit of Big 12, and a little bit of uh, AAC football uh, for our listeners on uh, uh, Wednesday night and Thursday night of this week, too. Yeah, don't we have uh, – do we have some uh, fun belt yeah, think, well, we've uh, got, tonight? We've got, we've got Louisiana Lafayette Marshall tonight, about the way. Yeah, Charles Huff, the former Alabama that, running back. Exactly. Up there coaching the Thundering Herd. Billy Napier's old squad there mm-hmm. in Louisiana. So, see, we can even tie that into the SEC. That's just, right. No question. Just give us a second or two to figure <laughs> it out. Hey, Brent, look forward to talking about it next week. It should be a uh, tremendous Saturday, Trav. Enjoyed it as always. For Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us here on Second Helping. And want to remind you that we are very proud to be a part of the Pigskin Podcast Network. And we certainly appreciate DraftKings for their sponsorship of the show. Please check out both. Wherever you find podcasts, you're going to find us. But our primary platform is the Pigskin Podcast Network. And thanks again to DraftKings as well. Until next time, so long, everybody.